This is IVP. This is The Disruptors, a podcast from InterVarsity Press about how faith is changing culture in unexpected ways. I'm Nancy Wong Yoon. I'm a sociologist, a pop culture expert, and a professor at Biola University. New eyes that look at the world in new ways. New eyes make contact blue, green, and gray. New eyes I realized I never knew when you realize feelings you trapped inside of you. New eyes that see the respect you earn. And here I am today with my friend G. Hi, G. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I am going to start today by acknowledging my presence on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Gabrielino Tongva peoples, which is the Los Angeles County area. Um, what about you, G? Do you know your land? Yeah, yeah. I've I've now learned that I am also on Tongva land. So I think that's one nice thing about these land acknowledgments. I think before, like maybe a year ago, I had no idea what land I was on. And now that I've heard some of these land acknowledgments, now that name is familiar to me. Yeah, and the reason why I'm acknowledging um, the land, and it shouldn't be just this reason, but uh, today we are going to be talking to Terry Wildman, who is um, who is a brilliant translator, and he is um, native, and we're going to be talking about um, his new translation of the New Testament. But um, but I realize, oh. you know, I don't make these acknowledgments every single episode, and I really should. Um, and so I don't want to be like virtue signaling today because, you know, I happen to be, um, you know, interviewing a, a native um, elder statesman. And I just feel like, yeah, I just, I feel torn about it. But I think that's the important thing about these conversations. Um, maybe that is the prompting we need, these personal interactions with people that help us, help remind us how important those acknowledgments are. Yeah, just to say a little bit more about Terry Wildman, he is the founder of Rain Ministries, the director of spiritual growth and leadership development for Native InterVarsity. He's an author, songwriter, a storyteller who's received Grammy and NAMI Award nominations. And so he's wow. won the Native American Music Award for Best Spoken Word. Uh, mm. He's the lead translator, general editor, and project manager for the First Nations version in Indigenous translation of the New Testament. And the episode begins with Terry reading uh, Matthew 5, 3 to 10, which is the Beatitudes, and it's just so beautiful. So let's take a listen. Yeah. Creator's blessing rests on the poor, the ones with broken spirits. The good road from above is theirs to walk. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who walk a trail of tears. He will wipe the tears from their eyes and comfort them. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who walk softly and in a humble manner. The earth, land, and sky will welcome them and always be their home. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who hunger and thirst for wrongs to be made right again. They will eat and drink until they are full. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who are merciful and kind to others. Their kindness will find its way back to them, full circle. Creator's blessing rests on the pure of heart, for they are the ones who will see the Great Spirit. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who make peace. It will be said of them, 
They are the children of the Great Spirit. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who are hunted down and mistreated for doing what is right. For they are walking the good road from above. Amen. Thank you. I love this translation so much. And I love, I read how one Native council member said, this sounds so Native that some people won't believe it's the Bible. I just love that quote. Um, I want to know, and I'm sure our listeners want to know, how did this translation come about? Well, before I uh, say that, and I'd love to tell that part of the story, I would like to say that my wife and I, my wife Darlene and I live in Maricopa, Arizona. We live on the traditional lands of the Pima and the Tohono O'odham, and that my native ancestry includes both Ojibwe and Yaqui. That's a very short introduction to that. But the the First Nation version translation, I never dreamed in, in my wildest dreams that I would ever translate the New Testament. Um, I was serving with Youth with a Mission for uh, a couple years on the Hopi Reservation in northern Arizona. And after that, I, I began to pastor a, a church, um, an American Baptist church on Second Mesa, which is near the villages of Shangopovi and Sepalavi, which were uh, our traditional Hopi villages that have been there uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, nearly a thousand years. And so living there was just an amazing experience, learning from the Hopi, who are a beautiful people. And when I started, the jail would let us come in, and there were some men and women that were in there, and we would do Bible studies. And I was just noticing that the Bible studies, when I would try to do them, were not connecting. Mm-hmm. We just, you know, we weren't connecting across. Somehow the approach was wrong. And so <clears throat> eventually uh, I learned. I, I learned from other Native leaders. I learned from mentors uh, the, the right way to approach our Native people, the right way to do meetings together and even to begin to share the scripture. But we're all, we were all in a learning capacity here uh, mm-hmm. because it's been done for, uh, for 500 years. Mm-hmm. It's been done a certain way. And now we're trying to change the way it's done. We're not trying to change the message, basically. I mean, there are some, some nuances to the message that we're definitely uh, bringing to light uh, in, in today's theology, but we're not trying to change the message. So I just began to experiment with rewording the scriptures uh, and in using wording that was familiar and comfortable and friendly to the Native people I was getting to know around me. <clears throat> and um, I, I had them help me in the process. Some of the, the men and the women that I would sit with, uh, traditional people, many of them not Christians. Uh, and, and I would share the scripture and I would say, if we were going to say this in a way that related to Native people, wh- what words would we use? How would we talk about God? How would we talk about, you know, different things? And so with their, with their input and, and input from others I knew, just began to word things. And uh, eventually that led to uh, it was successful. I mean, we were, it was, uh, the Bible studies became easier because there, there was an inclusiveness of mm. owning the scripture together. And so uh, what that eventually led to was 
my wife and I are recording artists, Rain Song, <clears throat> and we recorded a CD called The Great Story from the Sacred Book. And that CD won the Native American Music Award for Best Spoken Word. And what we what it was was taking from creation to Christ. And so using this kind of Native-friendly wording that I was developing at the time with the help of other Native people, we made this CD, and it became our most best-selling online CD. It was really making... I was getting good feedback from other Native people uh, uh, as they would listen to it and hear the story in a different way, in a way that related better with the English word choices. But a lot of people ask, why did we do it in English? Don't, don't the Native people have their own translations in their own languages? Mm. Well, that's <clears throat> true. All, almost all the tribes have a, a translation into the tribal language. The problem is, when I lived on the Hopi Res, I found a Bible, a Hopi Bible. It wasn't being used in our churches. Hmm. And that Hopi Bible, I took it to some, I was excited. I took it to our church members. I, I said, let's read from this. And I found out nobody could read from it. Hmm. And at least I, I, I think we eventually found one person who could read from it, who was Hopi, a Hopi pastor who had worked with the, the translation a bit, was side by side with other English versions. But what happened was the assimilation policies by the U.S. government that the churches uh, got involved in made it so that our Native people weren't being taught to read and our own language. As a matter of fact, our languages were being forbidden to us. Our children were told not to speak mm. in our languages. And so one portion of the church was translating the scripture into our native tongues. Another portion of the church was taking our language away from us and not teaching us in any sense how to read these translations. So we found this to be true across the board, across Turtle Island, which we call North America. I saw a need. That was in 2008 when we did the uh, the uh, CD. And I began to think there needs to be a translation. I was getting feedback from other Native people who were listening to this CD. You, there ought to be a Bible like this, a translation of, of the Bible like this. And, and uh, as my wife and I traveled later on, we traveled more and we visited after we left uh, serving on the Hopi, we are on Hopi for five years, but we visited many other tribal nations and, and reservations across Turtle Island, North America, and we found the same thing to be true everywhere we went. And we also saw the same kind of receptivity as we would share along with our music, we would share portions of these translated, reworded scriptures um, out there. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Uh, in answering your question, uh, that's what uh, eventually stirred me to actually think, I think the translation needs to be done, and I can't find anyone who's doing it. <laughs> so I think Creator's calling me to do it. And mm -hmm. other people were saying the same thing, so I stepped out in faith. 
um, you did mention that because I'm thinking everything that you said, reflecting on how yeah the the church even had a role in the assimilation policies that you know that this translation is in English and not in a native language is that kind of bittersweet right to have this process of um, thinking about the history that the church or a church or churches have played in erasure of native culture and also in colonization. I mean, these are things that, you know, I think about as a sociologist, like how how to continue a faith that is so wrought with problematic history. Yes. Um, what you're saying, it's not, it's not only bittersweet uh, for, for many of our native people, for most of our native people, it's bitter. Yeah, and it has been a barrier to sharing Jesus, to sharing the Christian faith among Native people. Has been the history of the church's involvement in uh, bringing bringing in the way the gospel, the the good story of Jesus, was brought to our people. And so, when you take a a story uh, as beautiful as the gospel of loving sacrifice, of, of, of a man who would heal the sick, cared for the poor, uh, bound up the brokenhearted, and you begin to force that belief and that message on a people in institutional settings. It destroys that message. Mm. And it not only destroys it for that generation, but also it hurts it for generations to follow. And so that's what we have to try to overcome. Those of us who are native, who are following Jesus, um, we understand that this is a barrier that there that's there, and it's not it's not going to go away just by uh, quoting the Bible or or you know trying to prove scientifically that the Bible's better than than other uh, other native stories or things like that. We really have to begin to trust that the story itself, if it's told properly, if it's told in the right context, if it can be separated, if we can separate Jesus from the colonial um, baggage that, that mm. came with, with that message, then our Native people can take a real honest look at this holy man. Our Native people, we, we shared our traditions with each other. We shared our spiritual ways with each other. We weren't afraid to look at a different spiritual perspective, hoping, we, we all know we only had part of the picture. We're hoping that maybe someone else has more of the picture or has mm -hmm. a, a piece of the puzzle we don't have. And we're, we were always open to that. But the way it's come, it's closed some of those doors. And we need new ways to, to knock on those doors and uh, once again. And that's what this translation is, is hoping to be a step in that direction. I love how you said in an interview that, like, for example, the the word sin in the Bible, how that has all sorts of triggers. Um, can you tell me more about how sin was used in boarding schools to destroy and to erase? Well, if you can imagine that as important as a language is to a people, and you're being told as a young person, in this boarding school is that speaking your language is a sin. Hmm. What that does to a person, how that makes them feel about who they are, how that affects an identity 
of a native person. And then to even go beyond that and to say, praying with feathers or praying with smoke, incense, is a sin. And there are many other kinds of things that uh, gave the impression that the only way to follow Jesus, the only way to go to heaven when you die and to escape this horrible hell that, that they would fill our minds and, and hearts with these horrible images to escape from is to quit being native, to, mm-hmm. to, uh, to renounce your identity and take on a whole new identity. All I can say is we stayed away from certain words intentionally that would trigger those kind of responses in the translation. So we didn't use sin. We used the meaning of it as it relates to our native people. We used sometimes bad hearts, Mm -hmm. sometimes broken ways. Sometimes we just said, fail to live in the way we were created to live. Mm -hmm. And so the message of the scripture is still there. As a matter of fact, it might even, uh, some, some, uh, uh, Bible scholars have told us that we're a little closer in some areas mm-hmm. than the actual translation, modern translations, because we, in a sense, stuck to some of the more literal meanings of the of the Greek, but also gave it um, a picture. Like sin has no picture to it, but brokenness has a picture to it. Mm-hmm. Broken ways has a picture. Bad hearts has a has a picture. And so those that imagery becomes important in conveying the meaning of the scriptures. Yeah, because I um in that same interview you mentioned that even sin was even related to having long hair, right? So even yes. like appearances that is part of part of a culture, part of who someone looks like. I mean, things that maybe you can you cannot change. Um, and so I it, it broke my heart to think about how how um, yeah the Bible was used to destroy um, communities like that. And so I, and I really appreciate how 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 sin um, you, you know this translation the First Nations version was more contextual, right? Like you said, sometimes it was yes. bad hearts, sometimes wrongdoings, because, because like you said, sin is so abstract and, and also, you know, just um, triggering. Um, but these other words are actually more specific and more, you know, and actually I think people can understand. I think even in general, society thinks of sin as judgmental, you know, but that, but that, no, that we are broken. I think people understand the way the word broken, you know, that we are all broken. And so I really appreciate that. And another one that I saw that was kingdom of God, right? Because of the Eurocentric connotations of king and kingdom. And how did you decide on this translation? Well, one of the things that happened is we, uh, we got the support of a Bible translation organization called One Book of Canada. And mm-hmm. One Book uh, came out of uh, Wycliffe, Canada, the former head of Wycliffe Canada for, um, founded One Book. And the difference in philosophy was that One Book was going to have the indigenous people do the translating instead of having the missionary or the non-indigenous person do the translating. They would simply give expertise, feedback, help. And, and that's what happened with this, with this translation also. 
part of what we did as we, uh, in the beginning, we gathered a, a translation council that was made up of natives from many different tribal heritages. And we, we met together in Calgary, Canada for three weeks. We met in Florida, uh, down at Wycliffe Associates for a week or two down there. And what we did was, Wycliffe has identified the translators about 185 to 200 key terms in the New Testament scriptures. And it's important to get those key terms right. And so uh, many of those key terms were, was sin. Uh, another mm -hmm. one was, um, you know, like, how do you say Hades? How do you say priest? We mm -hmm. said holy man, holy man for priests. We used uh, e equivalence. And so kingdom was an interesting one. Because uh, because of the European, ba the baggage that, that it's connected to the word kingdom often relates to conquering, often relates to taking more territory, expanding territory, mm -hmm. taking ground and land. And so that's, uh, that, that became related to colonialism and, and what happened with our native people here with uh, with the colonies and, and, and the, the, the colonial expansion. And so uh, we were looking for a different word for kingdom. And one of the things that helped was um, I was able to, I had read a few um, books by George Tinker. George Tinker is a, the, uh, a native theologian. Um, I would highly recommend his, his writings. And in a book he has called Spirit and Resistance, he has a chapter on the kingdom of God. And he kind of unpacks how the kingdom might be expressed or seen or understood in the context of our native peoples here. And what it finally came down to was that the kingdom would be a way of life. Hmm. And so for native people, it would be the way we express how we live is we are walking a road. We're walking the good road. Mm -hmm. And that good road is the spiritual way of life that intersects with the natural way of life. And they have to balance one another. And so uh, we chose the word for kingdom to be creator's good road or, or the kingdom of God. And, uh, and that has been well-received uh, in, in many places and by many people, both Native and non-Native. So that was kind of the idea behind that. <laughs> I love that. Creator's Good Road. It sounds like um, that everyone can walk on it and that it's continuous, right? That, um, yeah. And that um, it's a journey. And I don't know, I just, I, I really appreciate that translation. I also love your um, your translation for Jesus, Creator Sets Free. Can you tell us how you came, with, came up with Creator Sets Free? Every name in the New Testament uh, has meaning. Mm. Uh, the Hebrew culture uh, was very, it was very important that names had meaning. Sometimes they that meaning was a part of the destiny of that person or the future of that person or something, some quality in that person. We see that uh, Jacob means heel grabber. <laughs> so, you know, uh, and so that kind of 
fits into the story mm -hmm. of his life. Abraham is father of many nations. Mm -hmm. Okay, that fits into the story of what's going to happen. And so with Native people, we always named our children with names in a similar way. They had meaning. Sometimes we'd carry more than one name. Sometimes a name could be given at birth uh, or even several names at birth. And then later uh, you might be given a new name because of the qualities a, a spiritual leader might see in you and give you a new name to recognize that gifting that you have for the people. And so uh, we really worked at the meaning of the names. And we so we uh, we accessed, there's a lot of, people that have already done the work of getting the meaning of names from the mm. scriptures. There's several books out there, every name in the New Testament or in the Bible. And so we use those resources online and in books uh, to, to uh, look at the meaning. So the meaning, we gave it a little bit of a native feel, okay? So for example, Jesus. Okay, first of all, I, I just want to let everyone know that the name Jesus is a relatively modern term in terms of it was it's only 400 years old the actual mm -hmm. english word jesus it was first used in the geneva bible and the geneva bible uh introduced j e s u s um to the people and so uh but in other languages jesus has other names Mm. Uh, and it's pronounced differently. I remember in Madagascar, I went there, he is Jesosi. And there, in other terms, in, in Hebrew, he's Yeshua. Mm -hmm. um, and so <clears throat> we look for meaning. So we call Jesus creator sets free. And we wanted his name to have an active meaning. Many of our native names have active meanings. So he's doing something. He's He's not just something himself, but he's also, his name indicates that what he is does something, or who he is does something. And so creator sets free comes from the Hebrew. Yah is the, the Hebrew short version of the name of, of the supreme being. The Hebrew tribal name for is Yah. And uh, the word Shua, I'm not sure how it's even pronounced. Yeshua, <laughs> Yeshua, um, but it's uh, it means to set free, to deliver, to make whole. There's there's many possible ways mm -hmm. you could go to understand that the meaning of his name. But we liked sets free because of that verse in Matthew that it says he will set his people free mm -hmm. from their bad hearts and from their broken ways. But also to help um, with feedback it we found out it was helpful to put the standard name in a in parentheses next to our native name that's in there. And I want to say this, that from native people, the feedback, the most important feedback we've gotten has been that the, this practice of, of giving meaning to the names has meant more than 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 anything else. All, they love the other stuff, but this was the most important thing. So I'm so glad our translation council and everybody worked so hard on this and, and approved of this way of mm -hmm. doing it. Why do you think the, the names um, are the most important thing? That's a good question. Um, I think because name names relate to identity. Mm -hmm. 
who we are. It, it gives us our, uh, in a sense, our place within our culture. Mm-hmm. How do we fit into our, our uh, in among our own people? Well, our name gives us an idea of how we fit in. Mm-hmm. Sometimes our name our name comes from a from a clan, and that certain clan has certain responsibilities, and so uh, our name s- says something about what we're called to be. Sometimes in those in those tribal uh, nations that practiced the vision quest, sometimes after a vision quest, a new name would be given. Mm-hmm. After that quest was over by uh, the spiritual leaders or by the tribal elders that were involved, so uh, so names become important, and I believe that same importance is is a bridge into the Hebrew culture and into the culture that the New Testament was written in, and I believe it's a a common ground that can bring bring us together, uh, you know, and so that's some of my ideas. I, I don't have all the answers for, for that, but you might ask another Native person get and get a different perspective. But that's what I love. We have so many tribes, so many tribal nations, and so many perspectives. Such an honor for me to speak with Terry, who is the lead translator, general editor, and project manager of the First Nations Version, an indigenous translation of the New Testament, especially about the process of translating the Bible for the Native community with such a complex and often painful history with Christianity in the United States. If you're enjoying my conversation with Terry, then you will definitely love reading the First Nations Version. Whether you're Native or not, you'll experience the scriptures in a fresh new way. My family and I read the First Nations Version, or FNV as we like to call it, of the birth of Jesus for Christmas, and I think we've started a beautiful new tradition. It's no surprise that the FNV received a starred review in Publishers Weekly. This dynamic translation of the New Testament captures the simplicity, clarity, and beauty of Native storytellers in English, while also remaining faithful to the original language of the Bible. It's been selling out everywhere. Visit ivypress.com and get your copy of the First Nations version of the New Testament today. Available in both hardcover and paperback. And as always, get 30% off plus U.S. shipping when you use the promo code DISRUPT. Don't wait to read the good story of Creator. I was also taken by the the translation of names into meanings because um, in Chinese culture, um, you know, we have pictograms as our language and each of those pictures are meaning, right? So it's like you literally yeah. look at it and it is it is a meaning because there's not an alphabet. And so my Chinese name, um, one of the characters, it was Mist in the Mountains in, in Chinese. So because um, my, my uncle is very poetic and he thought that it was, you know, really pretty and um but um, but yeah, but like just so I think me, maybe just even me thinking about my culture and why I was also drawn to the names, just it's more evocative. And I don't know. And Jesus yeah. as creator sets free feels like maybe the entire it, it almost to me emblemizes the, the whole translation. It's setting something free, right? Something free that um, that perhaps has had all that baggage and trauma that perhaps, you know, having this new translation sets, you know, sets free some of the 
Maybe not all, for sure not all, because like you said, there's a lot of bitterness. Um, I mean, Mary's name, sure. Bitter Tears. <laughs> I, was, right. I, I was really taken by that, you know? So Mary being translated to Bitter Tears, uh, that's just my own personal curiosity. What, uh, what, how did that come about? <laughs> <laughs> well, what, you know, Mary was an interesting one because we had some Catholics with us as part of our, our team. And so we wanted to give Mary a really good name. You know, uh, an honoring name. And so in the Hebrew, her, her name could go several different directions in meaning. Because mm. uh, sometimes in the Hebrew, depending on which route you go to, you can come out with a slightly different meaning. And so we followed the, the route that might lead to Mara, which is bitter, bitter waters. Mm. Okay. And and so uh, we we looked at that early in the story where... Her heart was pierced through because of what was going to happen to her son. The, the prophecy that was about him, that he would be um, um, misunderstood. He would be, uh, and, 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 and so she, we saw her as one who, who was struck through the heart. And she had bitter tears. And the the idea of bitter tears isn't so much that she's a person of bitterness. Yeah. But but her but tears have salt and a bitter quality to them that that we wa- uh, wanted to come through in this. And so far, um, I've been interviewed by uh, Catholics and others. They they feel it's an honoring name. Uh, and she was the only. Uh, we actually gave each Mary in the New Testament. A slightly different mm. meaning to their name uh, so that hers would stand alone. Oh, wow. That's really great. Yeah. Because again, when we just think about Mary and then Mary Magdalene, and Mary, like it's just all Mary, <laughs> but, but right. it's true. She has such a unique and especially elevated status, like you said, in, in Catholicism. Um, yeah. To have that name, that's, that's really wonderful. What, what is your favorite kind of um, translation in the in the entire um, New Testament that that you were able to participate in? Oh, I don't know if I if I have a favorite, <laughs> but I but I I you know there are some that turned out more native sounding than other portions, mm. you know, and in terms of uh, you know especially we were surprised. Uh, we knew that the narrative section would really fit well with our native storytelling. And that was the feel we were going for in, with this, that this was a, an elder, a native elder, telling the story to the, to, to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so we looked, uh, you know, we knew the narrative would work well, but we weren't sure about Paul's letters and the other letters in the New Testament. <laughs> they're, they're letters. Mm-hmm. But what's amazing is how much uh, the writers of the New Testament uh, beyond the Gospels actually used a lot of words that are metaphor. Mm. And those words led to, those metaphors were pointing back to stories. So we were able to kind of bring that out. For example, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews uh, actually, because it's written to Jewish people specifically, has almost that indigenous feel to it. And so uh, Hebrews came out quite well in being able to to translate that feel across. You know, uh, j- just from Hebrews 1, uh, long ago, 
in many ways and at many times. The Great Spirit spoke to our tribal ancestors through the prophets. But now, in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son, the one He has chosen to give all things to. It is through His Son that the Great Spirit made the world that is, the world that was, and the one that is coming. So you can see the the feel of that. It's so different than the other English translations, but mm-hmm. it says the same thing, mm-hmm. uh, as those translations say. But sometimes I think it, it, it captures a more honoring way or a more beautiful way to say it. Uh, some have compared it to the King James, the beauty of the King James Version. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm honored that they would even suggest that, you know. And I'm really, uh, I want to say, first of all, even though I was the lead translator and kind of the visionary behind this translation, uh, this was a group effort. We had many Native people involved as, you know, even though I was the lead translator, everybody checked over my work, gave suggestions, gave feedback uh, to make sure it was culturally appropriate, that it was culturally relevant, and that, and that it was uh, easy to understand. Uh, were some of our, the things we looked at. And then we also, of course, had had a consultant with over 50 years experience that worked with us, working with indigenous cultures that worked with us for accuracy to the original Greek. So i mm-hmm. just so blessed that I didn't have to do this by myself <laughs> and that this gives it such credibility that I could never give it. So I'm thankful to Creator and to all um, all those who worked in, on this from um, organizations like Native InterVarsity and, and Crew Nations and, um, and many other, the Four Square Churches, the, uh, many other Native uh, organizations and people got involved in this translation. What do you hope the Native community gets out of this translation? Because, um, I mean, I can say, you know, I, I enjoy this, but really it's not about me. It's not about the outsider. The translation is really for the community. And so what do you hope that the community gets out of this new translation? I hope that the Native community will look at a translation, will take a new look at Jesus. Because this translation was done by Native people for Native people. Mm. And so since there hasn't been a translation done like this, not in English, I think it it could open some curiosity. And um, we're finding that to be true. We're finding some feedback that that Native people that wouldn't read the Bible have picked this one up mm. and have appreciated it. Of course, there are some who don't. But most of them never looked at it. They just decided it was a colonial compromise or something like that. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're not going to convince everybody. That's not our job. We just were were a small group of Native people, probably around 50 people total, maybe around there were Native people involved in this project. And we're not saying we, we represent all Native people or all Native perspectives, but we, we do represent a good portion of that. And, and we're coming with hearts that say, Let, we'd love you to take a look at this Jesus who has meant so much to us as Native people. And we found that he doesn't want to strip our culture from us. He wants to fulfill the values of our culture 
uh, in new ways. And so uh, those are some things we hope it, it will do. So at the end of our podcast, I typically ask um, guests to suggest something that they've been listening to or watching or reading that's disruptive in some way. I mean, this entire translation <laughs> of the first native version is disruptive for sure. Um, is there anything else you would suggest or, you know, or I guess we could just say this? <laughs> there are many other native authors who are followers of the Jesus way. If you want a disruptive book, take a look at Unsettling Truths. Um, Mark Charles uh, was the native person working with um, someone else. I'm, I, I, can't, I don't, I can't, I don't, can't quote that person, but it's called Unsettling Truths by InterVarsity uh, Press. Mark Charles uh, was the author. Mark is Navajo uh, believer in the Jesus way, and matter of fact. Uh, that book is about the doctrine of discovery and how this whole idea that somehow this land could be taken with the approval of God from our native people and how that that idea came about and kind of revealing the, the, the roots of how that took place and helping people get away from that. If you want to get unsettled, that's a good book to get unsettled <laughs> with in a good way. Well, Nancy, I'm really excited to read this First Nations translation of the Bible. Like, I feel like I heard the Bible afresh and in a really different way, even though I'm not a Native American. And I wanted to know, what did you think? What are the things that you're excited about in this translation? Yeah, I read it and I thought, wow, this is going to just make me fall in love with the word, maybe mm. like anew, <laughs> for the, yeah. not for the first time, but certainly I think see it through kind of the purity of its meaning, because I feel like so much of the translation really gets at the specifics and not take for granted thing, words like sin or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, words um, like redemption that just, you know, that, that becomes its own thing, but that let's break it down to context. So I just, I thought it was really lovely and, and but at the same time, I wanted to acknowledge that it's not really for me, you know, it's for the Native yeah. community. You know, I feel really blessed that we could be like a side beneficiary of this work because, yeah, it felt for me like, like a rethinking of things that, even the basic idea of God and calling Him Creator, and even though I feel like I've heard so many sermons where it's like, the names of God are really important, like when you actually use different names of God in a meaningful way, were there other things that stuck out to you about this interview? I mean, I had struggled with how to ask Terry organically about the kind of shackles, right, of, mm. of colonization. And I was, because I, I was curious as an outsider, like, how can you preach the word to a community that has been so, that has had so many, everything taken away from them and, and often in the name of Christianity, in the name of yeah. God. And so I appreciated Terry's honesty that it has yeah. been a bitter journey. I thought that was interesting. He switched your bittersweet to, he said, well, we could just say bitter. 
Yes, I know. I didn't. I didn't want to assume, right? I don't want to be that outsider. Be like, it sucked, didn't it? <laughs> you know? Because I've had things like that happen to me. Like, oh my gosh, you know, I like, like saying something so racist when you know it's like they're almost trying to speak on my behalf rather than just listening. I wanted to acknowledge that there has been pain, and I wanted to, um, and I wanted to explore that with him a little bit because mm-hmm. I feel like that is a, a question that a lot of my friends and I, you know, as sociologists would have right about like how does a community how does a people group that has been so uh, victimized um, in the name of religion you know how do they how can they keep up with faith how how do they overcome that history in order to kind of distill down to the purity of the faith which is a question that I have as well right in my own journey yeah Thank you for listening to The Disruptors. The Disruptors is hosted by me, Nancy Wong Yoon. You can follow me at Nancy W-Y-U-E-N. Our theme song is New Eyes by Jason Chu. Our executive producers are Helen Lee and Andrew Bronson. Produced by Richard Clark, Cray Allred, and Myla Kim. <laughs>